of the world. Why do you think that is? Have you ever thought about that? Does the Constitution even matter to most Americans today? Well, it should. In fact, if it were not for the Constitution, we would not have the government that we have. Because the government we have was predicated on the Constitution and, in the words of James Madison, the principal drafter of the Constitution, without the intervention of God, there never would have been a Constitution, he said. Wow, did you know that? Without the intervention of God, there never would have been a Constitution? What was he talking about? And why is it that there are so many others that want to intervene with the Constitution and change it? Why is it that when Barack Obama was ready to be inaugurated, five days before his inauguration, he said, we are five days away from the fundamental transformation of America. What did he mean? What was implicit in those words? Well, let me distill it for you. Barack Hussein Obama despised the United States Constitution. He did. Even though he was a lawyer, he despised the Constitution. Why is that? Because he was, shall we say, deeply enmeshed in a communistic form of thinking. That's exactly correct. And those he associated with were. They were against the United States government. They did not like it. They did not like the Constitution. In fact, Barack Obama said that he thought the Constitution should be fundamentally changed. He was offended by the fact that the Constitution limited the power of government and gave the majority of the power to the people and to the states. He thought it should be just the opposite that the government should be given all the power and a few rights uh, left to the citizens and the states. Exactly the reverse of the Constitution that was given to us. So the Constitution has been, shall we say, under the gun now for quite some period of time. There are those that would like to totally eradicate it. There were those that would like to take away the Bill of Rights. They don't want you to have the Bill of Rights. They believe, they believe that rights are given by governments, not by God. Yet the fundamental belief of the founders of this country in giving us the Constitution was that rights are given by God and they're therefore inalienable. And that's why it was written in our Declaration of Independence inalienable rights, rights that could not be taken away by government because they are given by God. And so today, as we remember the signing of that Constitution and we take a look in practical ways at its import for us, both historically and presently, I hope you'll stay tuned, friends, because we must remember A nation that does not remember what it was does not know what it is or even what it's trying to do, said one of our presidents, and that's where we are today. The majority of our young people have no clue about the Constitution, and they don't care. Just listen to the the man-on-the-street interviews. They don't care. Why don't they care? Well, one of the reasons they don't care is because they've been inculcated in our schools, our universities and colleges, 
with everything that is contrary to the spirit of the Constitution, contrary to the spirit of our government, and therefore is designed to create a spiritual insurrection against our government and the Constitution. You can use the word insurrection all you want, but in reality, that is what's being created in our schools, colleges, and universities, a spiritual insurrection not only against the government provided to us by the Constitution, but even the more so the government provided to us under God. A rebellion against God himself. So I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And uh, I hope you'll stay tuned because you're going to hear a lot of things that perhaps you've never heard. And I think it's going to tie some things together for you that are going to be encouraging and strengthening to you. But at the moment of despair and seeming hopelessness there in Philadelphia, as the founders, without any air conditioning, had gone through the seething heat of a Philadelphia summer to try to hammer out a constitution, at that moment of seeming hopelessness, that nothing seems to be able to be done, Benjamin Franklin, the elder statesman, who wasn't known for his spirituality particularly, rose up and he addressed the president of the the convention, George Washington, and he said, Mr. President, in this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. And he was, have we forgotten this powerful friend, or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I've lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Wow. Benjamin Franklin. Does God still govern in the affairs of men, friends? You would wonder. Well, Benjamin Franklin then went on to declare to that assembly of the greatest minds in America, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? He said, we have assumed, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So then Benjamin Franklin went on with his personal conviction concerning the future of the nation. Here's what he said. I firmly believe that without his concurring aid, that is God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. Well, guess what? That assembly of 55 of America's greatest intellectuals solemnly and humbly adopted Benjamin Franklin's motion, and they began to pray. And out of that came the Constitution of the United States of America. Welcome to the Viewpoint. I hope you'll stay tuned because we've just begun.
Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The consensus of Christian faith is the foundation of America and its greatness is replete, friends, in virtually every fiber of the original fabric of this nation, even going to the very signing of the Constitution in in, uh, (laughs) uh, 236 years ago. 236 years ago. And so, when George Washington, in his farewell address, stated, Reason experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle, he was right. That legacy was confirmed and at the same time reiterated when we officially adopted as our national motto, In God We Trust. And then our Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag was officially changed in 1954 by an act of Congress adding the words, One Nation Under God. That happened when I was nine years of age. But in this last generation, friends, it seems, in fact, the last two generations, it seems we've forgotten that divine friend that Benjamin Franklin talked about, upon whose power and guidance our forefathers relied, even in establishing the Constitution. So this shift from dependence upon our maker to reliance upon ourselves seems to have undermined the very foundations of this great American house. So the foundations are cracking, we see it, we hear it, and America is clearly slipping off its foundation. Even secular observers have joined in identifying the frightening picture before us. So I want to share with you some national headlines that occurred before the 1992 presidential election. That was 30 what, 32 years ago, 32 years ago, the year before we formed Save America Ministries and the very year that the Lord spoke to my heart as a practicing trial attorney, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause in the land. So here's what Newsweek said, March 2nd, 1992. It was the headline, How Our American Dream Unraveled. Then, on January 13th, 1992, Newsweek also declared the glooming of America. On March 2nd, 1992, March, uh, Newsweek also declared, we believed that prosperity would create the good society. We were wrong. On February 3rd, 1992, Time magazine declared the fraying of America. On January 21st, 1992, the Associated Press declared, if America doesn't watch out, it's going to be judged as finished by the world. On April 27th, 1992, Time magazine said voters are demanding of their leaders the personal futures they decreasingly demand of themselves. And finally, on March 2nd, 1992, Newsweek declared, we unwittingly adopted a view of human nature that assumed spiritual needs could ultimately be satisfied with material goods. Well, that gives you a clue, friends, and that was 32 years ago. Where are we today? 
What should we be looking at today? You see, as the scripture said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So that is the question. What can the righteous do? Yesterday on this program, our guest told us some things that the righteous can do amid the very trials and tribulations that we're now experiencing. Every day on this program, we bring to you direction as to what the righteous can do and should do. That's what we do. This is not an information-based program. It's a transformation-based program. In other words, as someone has said from the very beginning, you cannot listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed. Why is that? Because you have to make decisions. We present things in such a way that you have to decide what you're going to do. Am I going to accept or reject? Am I going to obey or disobey? Am I going to rebel or am I going to embrace what God is saying? The choice is mine. The choice is yours. And the choice is ours every single day and sometimes many times a day, isn't it? You know that. We all know that, but the problem is that the majority of professing Christians don't quite get it. Just don't get it. We think we have a Sunday morning churchianity mentality, as if somehow by walking into a building called a church building on a Sunday morning or whatever it is you worship, that that's what God was looking for. No, he's looking for a life. He's looking for a life that resembles, that models itself after his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do you think you should be any different than your Lord? Why in the world would anybody persecute you if you're not doing the Father's will? If you're not walking the way Jesus did and his apostles, why would they want to persecute you? There would be no reason to persecute you, right? So, Jesus wants us to emulate him. He wants us to follow in his steps in every possible way. And the Constitution, while it is not a spiritual document in and of itself, is an expression, it's a framework to protect and preserve the ability of we, the people, to live out the original vision of this country. What was the original vision of the country? It was established by the Pilgrims and the Puritans in 1630 and 1620. In fact, uh, John Winthrop, a uh, 40-year-old attorney, uh, bringing over four boatloads of Puritans before they landed because they had landed outside the Virginia Charter, he penned a kind of constitution. It was a spiritual constitution. It was called a model of Christian charity. That model of Christian charity is in the back, the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America. It is so important that some historians have said it is perhaps the best expression of what America was to be and become. It was that vision that the Constitution was intended to protect. His words remain a model of what life in America was meant to be. And I urge you to get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America. One person at a time, beginning with you. And what's wonderful today is that during the month of September, that book 
and all almost all of our books, that is, my personal books, are available to you at the amazing discounted price of only $10 each. We've never done anything like this before. And the reason we're doing this is because we need to get these messages out as rapidly and as broadly as possible. We want to make it possible for you to be able to get multiple copies so that you can give them out to your friends, your relatives, your pastor, your parachurch leaders, whatever it is, people you care about. Maybe your boss. Who knows? Let the Lord lead you. But I tell you, you're going to be greatly encouraged and uh, strengthened in the reading of this book. That's why 38 national Christian leaders endorsed it. They said it was very different than any other book written in our time concerning our country. It's life-changing. It really is. And it'll change your life as well and give you vision and hope. So get a copy of it, $10 on our website, saveus.org. All of the other books, $10. The more you get the less it costs because the the postage and handling for the first book is $5. After that, it's only $2 per book. So you'll get an additional, essentially, $3 uh, benefit by getting more books. Some are getting every single one of the books that I've written. They're taking advantage of this opportunity because it's only going to last this month. And here we are in the 13th of the month, It's only going to last for about 17 more days, and then it's over. It will be over. It will be over then. So, avail yourself of it. This book today, Renewing the Soul of America, but all the others the same way. All right, now we're going to go on and uh, talk about this Constitution because uh, it is incredibly important. When Alexis de Tocqueville came over to these shores in... uh, 1830. This was about uh, a generation after uh, after the Constitution was signed, after the Constitution was adopted. Here's what he said. Now remember, Alexis de Tocqueville was a Frenchman, a historian, a social philosopher, but he wasn't a Christian. And here's what he said. He was here for nine months. He said, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. The longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united, and they reigned in common over the same country. And by the way, what he was talking about was not religion in general, When these fellows talked about religion, they were talking about the Christian faith. So he said, religion or the Christian faith in America must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country. I want you to consider that. Because people will argue that the Constitution did not contain a lot of God talk. And they're right. That wasn't the intent, because it was predicated on the vision that had already been established and had been in place since 1620. Some would argue 1607, where the first landers came at uh, Jamestown and also uh, there uh, at Virginia Beach. De Tocqueville went on to say, all the sects or groups of the United States 
that is, Christian groups, are comprised within the great unity of Christianity. And Christian morality is everywhere the same. The United States, the sovereign authority, is religious. There is no country, he said, in the world where the Christian religion retains a greater influence over the souls of men than in America, and there could be no greater proof of its utility and of its conformity to human nature than that its influence is powerfully felt over the most enlightened and free nation on earth. But he wasn't finished. He said, in the United States, the influence of religion is not confined to manners, but it extends to the intelligence of the people. Christianity, therefore, reigns without obstacle, by universal consent, not by command, but by universal consent, friends. The consequences, he said, is, as I have been observing, that every principle of the moral world is fixed and determinate. So the Constitution didn't fix that. It was the spiritual Constitution that fixed it, known as the Bible or the Word of God. So he said, he said, I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors and fertile fields and boundless forests, in her Democratic Congress, in her matchless Constitution. And it wasn't until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. He said the safeguard of morality is religion, and morality is best secured of law, as well as the surest pledge of freedom. Christianity, he said, is the companion of liberty in all its conflicts, the cradle of its infancy, and the divine source of its claims. Wow. That's coming from a non-believer from France who came over to witness what was happening in this country after a generation after the Constitution had been established and signed. Notice, he was not glorifying the Constitution. The Constitution had merely protected and sought to protect the spirit of the country. And it's that that Barack Hussein Obama did not understand and still does not. And that's why Barack Obama, when he was running for office, put a cover over the image of Jesus in one of the speaking locations. He didn't want the people to see Jesus. He wanted them to see him. And so he was glorified as a quasi-Messiah over and over and over again. It's quite amazing, friends. You see, the attack on the Constitution and on our ways of government is primarily a spiritual attack. It may take the form of law. It may take the form of legal attacks and all kinds of uh, cancel culture and all of the things that are going on to bring chaos into our country today. But peace, if we really wanted peace, we would go back to the vision of our founders. And our founders were not George Washington and Benjamin Franklin, so to speak. The real founders were William Bradford and John Winthrop, the leaders of the Pilgrims and the Puritans, and also the leaders there at 1607 at Berkeley 100 and so on. We're going to be back with this. Stay tuned, friends. We're still not finished. 
There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. The eight articles of the Constitution of the United States of America set forth the relationship of the various government uh, aspects the counterbalancing governmental provisions in three branches of government. The Congress and uh, the executive branch, the presidency, and then the courts and the Supreme Court. Those are the three branches of government. What was the foundation of that? The foundation of that was also a spiritual foundation. Do you understand that? Oh, you don't understand that. It was. Here was the spiritual foundation. Our founders, no matter how religious they were, you can argue about that till the cows come home, whether they were all Christians or whether they were deists or this, that, or the other. You can argue about all of that till the cows come home, if they ever do. But the reality is they were in universal agreement that the nature of man was fundamentally sinful. Contrary, contrary to the viewpoint that has been established in the past 100 years in this country, that is completely reversed on its head the viewpoint of our founders and the underpinning of the Declaration of Independence, the underpinning of the Constitution of the United States, and also of its Bill of Rights. It was predicated, all of those things were predicated or based upon the understanding that humankind was fundamentally sinful and therefore could not be trusted. And because humankind was fundamentally sinful and could not be trusted, even the more so people who were appointed leadership could not be trusted unless watched over very carefully. And so they established a counterbalancing kind of government, three branches Co-equal in a sense, but each counterbalancing the other so that no particular branch would gain ascendancy over the other so as to rule uh, dictatorially over the rest of the country. Now we have tensions, huge tensions going on right now. Whether the Supreme Court will rule, whether the Congress will rule, whether the executive branch will rule. And the executive branch over the past uh, many years, in fact decades, has tried to usurp more and more authority from the Congress. It's unfortunate, but that's what happened. And even to 
essentially accomplish legislative decrees by executive orders that the Congress never approved. And in effect, it's become progressive wickedness. It is underpinned, undergirded, uh, not undergirded, but under, undermined the very foundational purposes of the Constitution. Now, the Constitution is not to be deified. It's not to be idolized, but it is to be revered. It is a very, very significant document. So when Benjamin Franklin talked about how they came together and prayed because they couldn't accomplish anything there on that hot Philadelphia summer, so they did pray, and out of that came agreement. And it should not be a surprise to us that one of the leaders actually came out and said that without God, there never would have been a constitution. Without God, there never would have been a constitution. Wow. That's quite a statement. Now let's talk about how this constitution got into writing. Because they had to piece this thing together, you know. And so the constitution consists of 4,440 words. And here's how it happened. The convention handed all of these documents to a fellow by the name of Shallus. Shallus, S-H-A-L-L-U-S. Jacob Shallus. He was an ordinary American citizen, son of a German immigrant to Philadelphia. He had been a soldier, a patriot, father of eight, and at the time of the Constitution Convention, he was assistant clerk to the Pennsylvania General Assembly. Apparently, he had fantastic handwriting. So the convention handed him all of these different documents that they've been working on, and they gave him 40 hours to transfer to four sheets of parchment those 4,400 words for which the payment was only $30. (laughs) When you look at that fantastic writing, it's hard to believe that any human being did it. But then again, it's very hard. It was very hard for Alexis de Tocqueville to look at America and believe that any human being had put this together. In fact, it was very hard for, uh, what was it, Alexander Hamilton to believe that this Constitution had come together but for God. In, in uh, Ghana, they have a phrase for that. It's called Jinami, but God, or but for God. And so we have this Constitution, but it's as if we don't much care anymore. Why don't we care? That's a good question. Why don't we care? Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of something that just came out today that tells you why the Constitution might be more applicable than you might think. And it remains to be seen how the Constitution would impinge upon what I'm about to read to you. But here it is. 
U.S. spy agencies invest $22 million in smart clothing that can monitor you secretly and surveil anyone nearby. Now, does this have anything to do with the Constitution, or does the Constitution have anything to do with this? I'm going to leave that an open question for you as we go through this article, and then if you haven't figured it out, I'm going to tell you exactly how it fits. A research operation for the U.S. intelligence community is developing clothing with the the capability to monitor and record its wearer and his or her surroundings. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence touted the research project in an August news release. It's a cutting-edge program that aims to make performance-grade computerized clothing a reality. The project aims to provide U.S. government agencies with, quote, durable, ready-to-wear clothing that can record audio, video, and geolocation data. Are you beginning to get the, the picture here? The concept is billed as smart, electrically powered, and networked textile systems, or smarty pants. Yeah, you got that right, smarty pants. And they're all proud of this. They're all proud of this. So could this clothing threaten you? Could it threaten your privacy rights? Could it? Well, absolutely. It not only could, it does. The federal government is funding the project to the tune of $22 million. So the federal government is creating spy clothing. Does the Constitution permit the United States government to spy on its citizens without some sort of legal permission and uh, process? No, it doesn't. How do we know that? Because the Fourth Amendment prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. Is this an unreasonable search? You better believe it, friends, because you won't even know the government is spying on you through the clothes that they have created for you to wear so that they can spy on you. Now they're going to be able to go to some a secret court somewhere and get permission to create this kind of clothing? And if so, what would be the basis for it? Can you see why we have the Fourth Amendment? The Constitution, friends, is really, really practical and applicable. It's amazing how it has endured. And you know what? Just as people try to find loopholes with the Bible, which is our spiritual constitution, so lawyers and others are always trying to find loopholes in our governmental constitution. They're not interested in obeying the law. They're interested in finding ways not to obey the law and pretend to obey the law at the same time. In other words, to skate as close as possible to the edge and still saying 
they're constitutional and obeying the law. Are you beginning to get the sense that if we're not interested in obeying God's constitution, which is the scriptures, then how in the world can we expect the nation to obey its own constitution? Because God's constitution supersedes the American constitution. Even Alexis de Tocqueville noted that. He said the people are universally governed by the word of God. A secular Frenchman noted that the people universally and by common consent were governed by the word of God. Hmm. Whatever happened to our common consent? Whatever happened to that universality? Whatever happened to morality in America? Did you know that in 19, I think it was 1992, Forbes magazine, the preeminent business magazine in America, devoted its 75th anniversary edition to asking this question, whatever happened to virtue in America? Oh, my friends, we're going to connect some dots here in the next segment. I hope you'll stay tuned. You might even want to tell friends about this particular program today. All over the country. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. I want to make available to you today, again, my book, Renewing the Soul of America, uh, one person at a time, beginning with you. Uh, 38 National Christian Leaders endorse this book. It is the most practical, personal book you will ever read, probably concerning our country and any reasonable effect, reasonable effect as a follower of Jesus Christ you can make in this country. That's why 38 National Christian Leaders endorsed it. They said it was different than anything else out there. And it's yours. It's yours for $15, excuse me, for $10. It's a $17 book. Yours for $10. We have never offered all of my books for $10. Never. But during the month of September, we're doing that, I think with only two exceptions, but you'll have to go to the website to find out. Maybe they're not even in any exceptions. But in any event, uh, $10 per book to get the message out so that you can get multiple copies of these books and get them out 
to your friends, relatives, neighbors, uh, loved ones, kids, spouses, whatever it happens to be. We've got a lot of books, and they're all about life change. They're not just about information, although they're loaded with information. Renewing the Soul of America has almost 500 endnotes. That's right. Quotations. It's just filled. And that's why pastors all over the country have used this book. And you can use it too. So, on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, you can get this book, Renewing the Soul of America, or any of the other books that are written by me, that is. And uh, the first book will be $5 postage and handling, and any successive book will be $2 postage and handling. Okay? Now, we move from there, and you'll recall that we were talking, as we wrapped up the last segment about Forbes magazine, 1992 edition, the 75th anniversary edition of Business Magazine, saying, whatever happened to virtue in America? 1992 was a fulcrum moment for America, heading into 1993, and I believe that's the reason why the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. At the height of my law practice there in California, saying, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause, and the land is a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour here on the near edge of the second coming. I said, yes, sir. We formed Save America Ministries, and no sooner had we done that, but the Lord said, okay, up and out of here, you're going to sell everything you have, your your law practice, everything you have, and you're going to go to the birthplace of the nation, and I'll tell you what to do. And we did. And starting on May 7th, 1995, we launched this radio program, which has been on the air now for 28 and a half years, confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective, preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. I hope you've decided to become a partner with us. I hope you have. Because this is an opportunity for you to really make a difference. You can't get on the air, most likely. It's very hard to do that. Maybe you haven't been ordained to write books and so on. But you can be a messenger, an ambassador, by joining with us in that regard. Ask the Lord if he would have you to become a partner with us. And then don't delay. Don't be a hearer of the word and and deceive your own self by not doing anything about it. Let's get on on board, friends. Go to the website, saveus.org. Make your donation there. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Or you might actually consider uh, going to the website, signing up uh, for what we call the automatic donation monthly. And you can always change it at any time. Some people call up and say, I'd like to increase. Some people call up, I need to diminish. Every once in a while, somebody says, you know, I've had a darn turn on my finances and I can't do it anymore. And we make correction within a matter of a couple days. All right. Now, 13 days before the Declaration of Independence was signed, 
John Adams, the second president of the United States, made this statement. In fact, he, he wrote this down. Statesmen, my dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles on which freedom can securely stand. He said the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. And if this cannot be inspired into our people in greater measure, then they have it now. They may change their rulers and their forms of government, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty. That was declared right from the get-go, friends. And that wasn't the only statement concerning virtue. He said on October 11, 1798, We have no government armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and the Christian faith. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution because our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious or Christian people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So the Constitution was specifically crafted for a Christian people. Its foundation was based upon the people having a fundamental morality defined by God's Word. And so he wrote again, calling for a fast. Righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a reproach to any people, quoting the book of Proverbs. Then in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, John Adams wrote this. Have you ever found in history one single example of a nation thoroughly corrupted that was afterwards restored to virtue? And without virtue, there can be no political liberty. Will you tell me how to prevent riches from becoming the effects of temperance in industry? Will you tell me how to prevent luxury from producing homosexuality, intoxication, extravagance, vice, and folly? I believe no effort in favor of virtue is lost, he wrote to Thomas Jefferson. On August 28, 1811, John Adams wrote, Religion and virtue are the only foundations, not only of republicanism, but of all free government, of all social happiness under our governments, and in all combinations of human society. Wow. Now, some people might say, well, you know, what can I do? How can I make a difference? Well, John Quincy Adams, who was the sixth president of the United States, and he was the son of John Adams, the second president, here's what he said. Duty is ours. The results are God's. Duty is ours, but the results are God's. You see, a lot of people want to play God. God isn't asking you to play him. He's asking you to do what he asks you to do. Then if we'll do what he asks us to do individually and then corporately, it will be amazing how God will smile upon us 
And as George Washington prayed in his final prayer, that the propitious smiles of heaven would come upon us. Is that what we want? If that's what you want, friends, you and I must be doers of the word and not hearers only. We can't continue to play this game of do si God will not play do si with you. He said, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you don't love me, you won't. If you do love me and keep my commandments, I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. If you don't, we won't. It's as simple as that. God's grace is not overlooking our rebellion, whether individually or as a nation. His mercy, the Bible says, is extended only to those who fear him and obey him. Why is that? Because we don't need mercy if we're doing a perfect job of obeying him. But if we're not trying to obey him, he doesn't extend mercy. No judge will extend mercy to you if you refuse to own up to your own guilt. Even the laws of men, any lawyer learns in law school that you cannot come before a court of equity with unclean hands and an impure heart. So Jesus, the, the Bible says, God requires that we come before him with clean hands and a pure heart. Now, where do you think we got that idea from in American jurisprudence? And so I'm going to wrap up here with the words of Sam Adams. Sam Adams was uh, known as the father of the American Revolution, along with his cousin John Adams, He labored over 20 years as a patriot and leader. Uh, And so here's what he had to say. A general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But when they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. If virtue and knowledge are diffused among the people, they would never be enslaved. That will be their great security. Neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners have become universally corrupt. He, therefore, is the truest friend of the liberty of his country, who tries most to promote its virtue, and who, so far as his power and influence extend, will not suffer a man to be chosen into any office of power and trust who is not a wise and virtuous man. Are you listening, my friends? It has nothing to do with whether you have a D or an R beside your name. A wise and virtuous man or woman. The sum of all is this. If we would truly enjoy this gift of heaven, let us become a virtuous people. The United States Constitution, friends, 236 years it has endured, 
And now we have the choice as to whether it will continue to endure. And it depends on you and me. Why would that be so? Well, let me share with you the words of some of our leaders, our spiritual leaders, who responded to my book, Renewing the Soul of America, with these comments. As a country and as individuals, we stand at a crossroads to continue on the path to godlessness or to return to the way of righteousness. In this powerful book, Renewing the Soul of America, Chuck Chrismeyer shows us how we can make decisions that enable us to claim the glorious destiny of our God and Savior He has ordained for us. Another writes, with an insightful grasp on the history of our nation's founding, added to deep understanding of the judgment God has imposed upon nations outside of His holy will, John Chrismeyer clearly and crisply enunciates the choices facing not only America, but Americans in this dangerous period of our God-blessed, but God-warned country. Do we really have the courage to make the right decisions? As Pat Robertson, who recently passed, said would have to happen if we listened to this book, Renewing the Soul of America? You might want to get a copy on our website, saveus.org. God bless, be a blessing. It's not so much about praying for America, it's obeying God. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.